Hello and welcome to Leftist Reading, a podcast where I'm a leftist and I read things. Today we are continuing with the curriculum of Marxism and Leninism, and we're exploring different types of dialectic relationships and how those inform things and how to interpret things within those frameworks to better be able to understand them. So let's dive in. 4. Content and Form A. Categories of Content and Form The content category refers to the sum of all aspects, attributes, and processes that a thing, phenomenon, or idea is made from. The form category refers to the mode of existence and development of things, phenomena, and ideas. Form thus describes the system of relatively stable relationships which exist internally within things, phenomena, and ideas. Annotation 150 Content and form can be difficult to comprehend at first because the ways in which content and form manifest and interact can vary wildly depending on the subject being discussed and the viewpoint from which the subject is being considered. Content represents the component things, materials, attributes, features, etc., which together make up a thing, phenomenon, or idea. You can think of it as the ingredients from which a subject is made. Form refers to a stable system of internal relationships which compose a thing, phenomenon, or idea, as well as the mode of existence and development, see annotation 60, of those relations. Remember that from a dialectical materialist perspective, everything in our universe is defined by internal and external relations. If a thing, phenomenon, or idea has internal relations which are relatively stable, then it has a form. We would not call all of the assorted ingredients which are used to make a cake a cake unless they have been assembled together and baked into the stable form which we interpret as a cake. Once a portion is removed from the cake, the portion itself assumes a new stable form which we call a slice of cake. The slice of cake will maintain its relatively stable form until being eaten, discarded, or otherwise transitioning into some form. It is only considered a slice of cake for as long as it maintains its own specific stable form. Stability itself is also relative. A spray of water may only last for a few seconds, but we can still conceive of it as having form. On the other hand, a mountain has a set of stable internal relations, a form, which might last for millions of years. We can think of form as having two aspects, inner form and outer form. Inner form refers to the internal stable relations, which we have already discussed. Outer form is how an object appears to human senses. In this book, we are primarily concerned with the inner form of subjects. However, in other contexts, such as art and design, the outer form plays a more prominent role. Now, let's identify some of the common viewpoints from which content and form might be considered. Material versus ideal. When discussing the material, i.e. objective systems and objects, footnote 4. Discussion of content and form is more straightforward. Material. With material things and phenomena, the content is what the thing is made out of, the physical parts, aspects, attributes, and processes that compose the subject. For example, the content of a wooden chair might be the wood, nails, paint, and other materials which are used to create the chair. Figure 1. A material object can be described in terms of content, inner form and outer form. 
The inner form of a material object refers to stable internal relations which compose the object. The stable relationship between the wood and the nails. The nails bind the wood together. The wood is cut in certain patterns. The paint adheres to the wood through physical and chemical bonds, etc. Stability is, again, relative. Over time, the paint will chip and flake. The wood will rot. The nails will rust, etc. Dialectical processes of change will eventually reduce the chair into something other than a chair, i.e. through rotting, burning, disassembly, etc. But as long as the internal relations maintain the form of a chair, we conceive of it as a chair. The outer form of a material object refers to the way it appears to human consciousness, its shape, aesthetics, etc. Ideal. With the ideal, i.e. abstracted, ideas and concepts, discussion of content and form becomes more complicated. As Vietnam's Marxism-Leninism textbook for students who specialize in Marxism-Leninism explains, quote, Many times, human consciousness has difficulty in trying to clearly define the content of a subject, especially when the subject is an abstract idea. We often mistake content with inner form. Usually, in this situation, there is a strong combination and intertwining between both content and form. In such a situation, the form can be referred to as the inner form or the content form. With physical things and phenomena, this type of form usually belongs to a very specific private. It doesn't exist in any other private. It is the unique. See annotation 129. End quote. The reason the inner form of physical objects usually exists in private as the unique is because the stable internal relations of any given physical object are equivalent to the specific material components which distinguish one physical object from all other physical objects. In other words, if you have two chairs which are not exact copies of each other, made from the same kind of wood, cut into the same shape, using the same type and configuration of fasteners, etc., they are still not the exact same object. The internal relations of one chair are what make it that chair, and distinguish it from all other objects in the universe. The outer form of these chairs may have many commonalities. They look similar, they have the same color, etc. But the inner form is what distinguishes one chair from the other. Quote, However, within the realm of abstract ideas, there are also forms which many abstract privates share. In the context of abstract ideas, we call this kind of form the outer form, the form form, or the common form. When we try to define the content of a subject which is an abstract idea, our consciousness usually tries to answer the question, what is the subject? End quote. This is usually a simple matter. Take, for example, the abstract idea of freedom. When we try to think of the content of freedom, we can answer it pretty easily. What is the subject of freedom? It is the condition which allows humans to follow their own will. It is the absence of external coercion, etc., etc. Quote, But when we try to define the form of an abstract idea, our consciousness tries to answer the question, how is the subject? This is when we have to define the mode of existence, the form, of that subject. End quote. This is where things get more complicated. The mode of existence of an abstract idea can usually be considered to be a language, since our ideas are usually expressed through language. 
but it can take on other modes of existence as well, such as visual media, paintings, photographs, physical motions of the human body, body language, dance, etc. This is how the field of art studies is concerned with the philosophical categories of content and form. Content and form in art. Many readers may already be familiar with the subject of content and form from studying art, design, communications, and related fields. At first glance, the definitions of content and form may seem different from what we've been discussing so far. This is because art concerns itself with abstract ideas expressed through various forms of physical representations. These physical representations may include physical objects, photographs, paintings, sculptures, performed and or recorded physical activities, dance, music, theatre, film, human language recorded in stable physical forms of written language, novels, poems, stories, or spontaneously performed oral language, storytelling, impromptu spoken word poetry. Because the study of art is primarily concerned with interpreting and understanding ideas expressed through these physical manifestations, art is concerned with the stable, inner relations of the ideas which artists imbue within their works of art, much more than the stable inner relations of the physical components of the object. According to the Vietnamese art textbook, Curriculum of General Aesthetics, quote, What is the form of a work of art? Form is the way to express the content of an artwork. Form and content within a work of art have a strong unity with each other and they regulate each other. Form is the organization, the inner structure of the content of an artwork. Therefore, form is the way that the content expresses itself. And that way is described by two features. We must ask, first, what expresses the content of a work of art? Second, how is it expressed? Art exists when two conditions are met. First, there must be a subject with an outer form. Second, an artist must convey aesthetic meaning or humanization of that subject. This aesthetic meaning is the content. End quote. So, in studying works of art, we are less concerned with the physical content of the artwork, the canvas, paint, etc., than we are with the abstract content of the artwork, the ideas which the artist imbues within the artwork. As for form, the inner form of art represents the stable internal relations which compose the art, both ideal, i.e. the stable internal relations of the abstract ideas imbued within the art by the artist, as well as physical, i.e. the stable internal relations of the physical media of the art. The outer form of art represents how our human senses perceive the art, such as composition techniques, the use of color, etc. The chart below breaks down the differences in a general, non-artistic viewpoint of physical objects and processes in materialist dialectical terms, i.e. the viewpoint an engineer might have, as compared with the artistic viewpoint of physical objects and processes, which an art critic might have. Some fields, such as designing products for human use, might draw from both viewpoints. Figure 2. Content and form in specific artistic media. Every medium of art will interpret content and form in its own way. For example, literature is a specific art discipline which deals with recorded human language in the form of writing. 
In written literature, the content would be the ideas expressed in a piece of writing, what the words say. The inner form would be the way the ideas relate to each other, i.e. story structure, pacing, character development, etc. The outer form would be the physical format of the writing, i.e. manuscript, magazine article, paperback book, ebook, etc. Painting is a specific art discipline in which pigments are applied to objects to create images which convey ideas and emotions. In painting, the content would be the meaning which an artist embodies in a work of art. The inner form would include the stable internal relations within the artwork, i.e. the bonds and mixtures between the pigments, the canvas, etc. While the outer form would be how the artwork appears to human senses composition, aesthetics, etc. Generally speaking, the creator of the art will have to make decisions about the inner form, i.e. selection of oil versus acrylic versus watercolor, selection of shade, tint and hue, physical brushstrokes, etc. so as to produce the desired outer form, the way the finished artwork will appear to viewers. Theatre is a specific art discipline in which human beings perform physical actions and use their voices to convey ideas to an audience. In theatre, the content includes the ideas which are being presented, such as the script, the musical score, the story, the performance, choices of actors, costumes, props, etc. The inner form would include the stable relations between members of the cast, the director, the physical stage, the lighting, etc and the outer form would be the way the play appears to the audience. These are just some examples. Each medium of expression will have its own variations in how content and form are considered. Engels described the manifestation of content and form in Dialectics of Nature. Quote, the whole of organic nature is one continuous proof of the identity or inseparability of form and content. Morphological and physiological phenomena, form and function, mutually determine one another. The differentiation of form, the cell, determines differentiation of substance into muscle, skin, bone, epithelium, etc. And the differentiation of substance, in turn, determines difference of form. End quote. Content and form are discussed frequently in analysis of human social systems and objective relations which occur within society. For example, Marx made many critical insights into economics by analyzing and explaining the form of value, see annotation 14, under capitalism. Indeed, the entire capitalist system can be viewed in terms of content and form. The current form of human civilization is capitalism. That is to say, capitalism is the stable set of relations and characteristics of the current political economy which dominates the planet. The content of capitalism includes all the components of the base and superstructure, including the various classes, capitalists, working class, etc. The means of production, government institutions, corporate institutions, etc. All of these elements are configured together into the relatively stable form which we call capitalism. Other viewpoints of content and form. Of course, there are many other viewpoints for discussing content and form of abstract ideas. Each philosophical field will have its own unique ways of utilizing content and form analysis. One example is the concept of content and form in legal philosophy. Vietnamese legal expert Din Thuy Dung writes, 
Quote, the law has internal and external forms. The inner form is the internal structure of the law, the relationships and the connections between the elements constituting the law. The inner form of the law is called the legal structure, which includes the constituent parts of the legal system, such as the branch of law, legal institutions, and legal norms. The outer form is the manifestation, or mode of existence, of the law. In other words, the outer form of the law is how we view and understand the law, i.e. who enforces the law and what repercussions will occur if we violate the law. Based on the outer form of the law, one can know how it exists in reality and where and to whom it applies. The external form of the law is also approached in relation to its content. According to this understanding, the content of the law includes all the elements that make up the law, while the form of the law is understood as the elements which contain or express the content. If you understand that the content of the law is the will of the state, then the legal form is the way of expressing the will of the state. End quote. There are countless other ways in which content and form can be used to analyze and understand things, phenomena, and ideas. We hope that these examples have given you a better idea of the various ways in which content and form can be used to understand the world. In general, socialist texts deal with the inner form of things, phenomena, and ideas. That is to say, the inner relations which compose the subject being considered. The outer form, how things appear to our senses, tends to be less relevant in analysis of human social systems. Though it is often important in consideration of specialized fields of revolutionary activity, such as aesthetics, propaganda, etc. B. Dialectical relationship between content and form. Content and form have a strong dialectical relationship with one another. There is no form that does not contain any content. Simultaneously, there is no content that does not exist in a specific form. The same content can manifest in many forms, and a form can contain many contents. The relationship between content and form is a dialectical relationship in which content decides form, and form can impact content. Annotation 151. For example, if you want to make a table and all you have available are wood and nails, then that content, the wood and nails, will determine the form the table ends up taking. You are going to end up with a wooden table, and it will therefore have to have certain characteristics of form. When content changes, the form must change accordingly. If, instead of wood, you have iron, then the table you end up building will have a much different form. Form can also influence the content, but not nearly as much as content determines form. For instance, if you have wood and nails, but you develop a technique for building a table that doesn't need any nails, then the result, a wooden table without any nails, would be an example of a development in form reflecting as a change in content. The main tendency of content is change. On the other hand, form is relatively stable in everything and phenomenon. As content changes, form must change accordingly. However, content and form are not always perfectly aligned. Annotation 152. Since all things, phenomena, and ideas are constantly changing, it stands to reason that the internal components things, phenomena, and ideas, and their relations, 
which compose the content of a subject will constantly be undergoing processes of change and development. Thus, we say that the tendency of content is change. Since the form is based on the internal relations of the components of content, it stands to reason that a change in content will lead to change in form. These kinds of changes in content and form also occur through the dialectical process. Changes in quantity lead to changes in quality. See annotation 117. Figure 3. Quantity changes in content lead to quality shifts in form. As soon as a wooden chair is being built, the paint is already beginning to degrade. The wood is already beginning to rot. The iron nails are already beginning to rust. These changes may be imperceptibly slow. They may even take centuries to occur if the chair is kept in a hospitable environment. But the changes are occurring quantitatively over time, nonetheless. Eventually, changes in quantity will lead to changes in quality. At some point, the chair might weaken and begin to wobble whenever it's sat in. Human beings might recognize this quality and begin to think of it as a wobbly chair. The chair might degrade to the point where it can't be safely used at all, in which case it will have quality shifted into a broken chair. If the chair is repaired, that would represent another quality shift. If it is used for firewood, that would be another quality shift. Keep in mind, the changes in form do not directly cause changes in content. If you disassemble a wooden chair into the constituent wood and nails, the wooden nails remain more or less unchanged. But if you burn a wooden chair, it's the change in content which leads to the change in form from chair to pile of ash. Form simply represents the stable relationships between the component parts of the subject's content. The only way to change form is to change those inner relations or to change the components which are relating. There is no way to change form without changing the content, and changing the content changes the form by definition. Content determines form, but form is not fully decided by content, and form can impact back on content. If a form is suitable with its content, it can improve the development of its content. If a form is not suitable with its content, it can constrain the development of its content. Annotation 153. The dialectical relationship between content and form is somewhat similar to the dialectical relationship between the material and the ideal. See dialectical materialist opinions about matter, consciousness, and the relationship between matter and consciousness. Just as the material world determines consciousness while consciousness impacts the material world, the content of a subject determines the form while the form impacts the content. Suitability describes the applicability of a subject for a specific application or role. Whether or not something is suitable can be highly subjective, i.e. which music would be suitable to play at a party, or it can be more objective i.e. what kind of batteries to use with an electronic device. We might say that hardwood is suitable content for the form of a chair because it is durable, strong, relatively inexpensive, and long-lasting. It might be unsuitable to have a chair made of hardwood if it is said to be used as an office chair. B. 
because the hard surfaces might cause strain and discomfort. However, we can utilize conscious activity to adjust and develop suitability between content and form. Changing the content by adding cushioning or padding might make the content and form more suitable with each other. Similarly, changing the form by designing contours and adding adjustability to the chair might make the content and form more suitable with each other for their intended application as an office chair. If a form is not suitable with the content, it restrains the development of the content. Just think of a shovel. Form, made of wood, content, which will degrade very rapidly over time, versus a shovel, form, made of steel, content, which will last much longer. This works in both directions. Consider the content of drinking cups. A porcelain cup might last for a long time and even develop positively over time by acquiring a desirable patina while a cup made out of mild steel would not be desirable as it would be highly prone to rust from extended use containing liquids. C. Meaning of the methodology. Content and form always have a dialectical relationship with each other. Therefore, in our perception and practice, we must not try to separate content and form, nor should we solely focus on one and ignore the other. Because content determines form, whenever we are considering a thing, phenomenon, or idea, we must base our consideration first on its content. If we want to change a thing or phenomenon, we have to change its content first. In reality, we must promote the positive impact of form on content by making the form fit the content. Likewise, we must also change the form that is no longer suitable with its content and therefore constrains the development of its content. Annotation 154. In any analysis, it is very important that we carefully consider whether or not content and form are suitable with each other in our own projects and activities. We can learn a lot about suitability from observation and practice, see cognitive theory of dialectical materialism, and improve suitability through conscious activity. Marx believed that it is vital to consider content and form when analyzing human society and political economy. One of his core critiques of political economists like Adam Smith and David Ricardo was a failure to consider content and form when it comes to value, commodities, and money. He discusses this extensively in Capital Volume 1, as in this excerpt. Quote, the value form, whose fully developed shape is the money form, is very elementary and simple. Nevertheless, the human mind has, for more than 2,000 years, sought in vain to get to the bottom of it all. Whilst, on the other hand, to the successful analysis of much more composite and complex forms, there has been at least an approximation. Why? Because the body, as an organic whole, is more easy of study than are the cells of that body. In the analysis of economic forms, moreover, neither microscopes nor chemical reagents are of use. The force of abstraction must replace both. End quote. Marx, here, is saying that studying the economy is more difficult than studying the human body because it can't be physically observed and dissected. Rather, we have to rely on abstraction, which leaves us prone to making many more mistakes in analyzing content and form. Quote, 
But in bourgeois society, the commodity form of the product of labor, or value form of the commodity, is the economic cell form. To the superficial observer, the analysis of these forms seems to turn upon minutiae. It does in fact deal with minutiae, but they are of the same order as those dealt with in microscopic anatomy. End quote. Marx's analysis of capitalism relies to great extent upon recognizing the commodity form of the product, content, of labor. Labor existed long before capitalism. Labor has existed for as long as humans have worked to change our own material conditions. But under capitalism, labor specifically takes on the form of a commodity which is bought by capitalists. This becomes the basis for Marx's entire critique of capitalism. Obviously, there is much more to Marx's use of content and form in analyzing capitalism and human society, but this should hopefully give you some idea of the importance of content and form in analysis of human society and revolutionary activity. And that is going to do it for this week. If you have any questions, corrections, or reading suggestions, which a couple of people have sent in, and thank you, you can email leftistreading at gmail.com or contact the show on Twitter at leftistreading. The intro and outro music is Decisions by Eric Medias. You can find it and more of his work on soundimage.org. This show is hosted on the Abnormal Mapping Network. You can go to abnormalmapping.com to find this and lots of other leftist podcasts, including the return of movie podcasts now that the SAG-AFTRA strike is over. At least for now. We'll see. They have a very good general movie podcast called Repertory Screenings. And also, if you go to the Patreon at patreon.com slash abnormalmapping, one of the bonus shows you get there is called Blockbusters that is just about big Hollywood movies, and there's always a good discussion about those. That is all for this week. Thank you for listening, and keep reading.